remember, last week we were in Romans 7. And uh, Paul is speaking to the church at Rome, which was a group of people gathering in people's homes in the, one of the largest cities in the world. And they were surrounded by people that did not follow the Lord. They were following all these other gods that took them into a place of bondage. The, their gods caused them to go to temples and worship uh, through uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, through the giving of money, um, and all those other things. And in order to gain favor with their gods, they had to give to their gods. And I love that because our gods don't ask us, or our God, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't take from us. What he does is he gives us everything that we need, and then he requires a portion. Not forcing our hand, but saying, hey, I've loved you, what are you going to do? You know, are you going... And as a response, oftentimes what happens is as we mature in our relationship with the Lord, the overflow of what He's given us, we have no problem letting go of it because we recognize that everything that we have, it comes from Him. And so the Lord, He is showing us through the pen of Paul here uh, how to deal with sin. And sin is something that, that plagues us from the moment that we are conceived until the moment that we die. And we can either give in to it or we can reject it. But as a Christian, we are the only people in the world given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Before my relationship with Jesus started, I had no ability to fight the temptation to sin. It, the, the best that I could do was you know, try not to do it. But in all reality, I couldn't overcome its pull because I was dead in my sins and trespasses. Dead men can't fight. Have you ever gone to a funeral and said something to someone in a casket? Maybe you were aggravated at them. Maybe not. Hopefully not. But you know what happens? You ever see somebody go up to the casket and go, you know what? I had so much unfinished business with you. And the other person speak back and argue? No, they're not there anymore. And that's where we came from. To be alive in Christ means that we used to be dead. Jesus, he was alive and he had this nature that we've been given, the Holy Spirit. He was fully God and yet fully man. And so he was the only one that ever lived a sinless life. But when he lived that life and was put to death unjustly, and then raised by the power of the Holy Spirit from death, he defeated death. That's the same power that you and I have now been given to live against sin, to, to basically deny its power over our lives. In Romans 6, Paul has written, he says, Therefore sin shall no longer take advantage of you. Sin shall no longer reign in your mortal bodies. So today he's talking about this idea of sanctification. At the moment that we accept Christ into our lives, we are positionally all that we will ever be. He looks down on us and he sees Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, and we are all that we will ever be. We can never add anything to his free gift of salvation. We can't. It's, it's done. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, it was finished. He didn't mean it was finished, but we got to put some air in the tires. He didn't mean it's finished, but you know we're going to do a little work on you and make you a little better. He meant your life, your salvation is complete. It's done. It's over. You can't add anything to it. And I love that because God doesn't give us incomplete <clears throat> gifts. He doesn't buy us 
something that needs something added to it, he gives us the whole shebang. But then, practically, we still live in these earthly tents, these bodies that are tempted to sin. They just are. The enemy of our souls wants us to be condemned from God, separated like he is, Satan. He's for eternity bound. He's sent to the pit. But for whatever reason, God's allowed him to continue to plague men. You know, even his worst devices against Jesus caused Jesus to be put to death on the cross. And so he thought he triumphed. He's like, you know what? God said he was going to redeem man, but he, Jesus is dead. He can't redeem anybody now. And then what was funny is that him putting Jesus to death actually ended up being our salvation. His death, Satan's evil devices, ended up being the way that we are saved. And so the joke's on Satan. And so God makes even the wrath of his enemies to praise him, to provide what he was always going to do. And so just in the same way, God uses trials. He uses, he allows things to come into our lives that squeeze us a little bit so that we will, in our moment of greatest weakness and need, be able to cry out to him and say, Lord, I thought I could overcome this thing. I thought I could do it on my own, but I need you. And I love that because God loves us enough to allow things to come into our life to produce needs that cause us to look to him, our father. And so God has done that. And he showed us in Romans chapter seven. And, and really what he showed us is that number one, um, we shall not, according to chapter six, continue in sin and let grace abound. If God's forgiven me and his free gift shows that he is good for forgiving me even though I don't deserve it, Paul said, well, why don't I just continue on sinning? He said, well, don't do that because if you continue on sinning, just giving in, sin does three things. Number one, it enslaves you. It makes you its slave. Number two, it makes you ashamed. It makes you want to hide from God. And number three, it spreads death into your life. And so this is for the believer. We need to know this. If we continue sinning just so that we can just, you know, show that God's good, we can't sin to the glory of God. God will get glory because he will forgive us. But God's best plan for us is that we would be delivered from sin. And so in chapter seven, he said, number, number one, you can't just continue in sin. But number two, in order to deal with the sin problem, you can't do it on your own is basically what he's telling us. Because our knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, if I'm not supposed to continue in sin, then I'll just come up with some rules so that I won't sin. And the question is, as believers, can we sin? And the answer is yes, but we shouldn't continue in it. And so Paul says here, you can't just decide, I'm going to pull myself up by my own efforts or by following all the rules and then save myself. The only way to be delivered from sin is to obey the Lord from a heart that's willing. And that's really all we have to offer the Lord, is giving our will over to follow Him. And so he said here in the first part of chapter 7, he's basically revealed to us that following the law will not make us any better or any worse in God's eyes. He says here, he says in verse 1, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? 
And last week he talked about that. He said, we've, we've died to the law, and so we're free to be married to Christ. Just like a person who is married to another person, if that person dies, they are free to marry someone else. And so the, this relationship we had to the law was only for a short time in order to show us that we needed to die, if that makes any sense. In order for God to live through us, then we got to die. His will, not ours. And that feels like a death when you really want to do something, but you know it's against God. You feel like you're dying. You're like, oh, but I really want to do this, but I know it's against God. And so Paul shows us, he says, well, if the law shows that I'm sinful, and it really, well, let me just start in verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. Well, verse 6. He says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now he's talked about marriage in this section. A marriage is not a very fun marriage if you're only loving your spouse because you have to. You know, you ever been in a relationship with somebody and you felt like you had to do what they said? It's not a very loving relationship. But Jesus has freed us from the law. He he fulfilled it completely. Matthew chapter 5 says that Christ didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it for us. So now that we're free, we don't have to live by the letter, by every jot, every tittle, every little ordinance that was in it. But now we're free to love him because we get to. You know, I don't love my wife because I have to. If it's a have-to relationship, it becomes a drudge. It becomes a, oh, I gotta do it again. But in order to love my wife, I, I get to do it. She doesn't force me. I chose to. And because of that, it's enjoyable. It's something that I relish in. It's something that I, I'm able to enjoy. And so the Lord has said this. We're free from the law. Now we just get to. Not because we're trying to fulfill a requirement, but because we want to. We recognize how much he's loved us, and we can't help but just respond and going, God, you're so good. And, and obeying him because of that. And so in chapter 7, he says, what shall we say then? Verse 7. Is the law sin? He says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, notice there, he doesn't say <coughs> something that's outward. You know, coveting something is wanting something that's not yours. It's not doing anything outwardly. It's an attitude of the heart. So he didn't say, you know, when this, you know, he wasn't talking about following or not following the speed limit. He was talking about wanting to not follow the speed limit. Now, Paul was raised a Jewish boy. He was raised with the precepts of God. He was basically raised in church. And so as a young Jewish boy, they were raised to follow all of God's laws. And he did it. He would tell you, and he did he followed all the external rules that God had set up for the people of Israel. But there was one that he struggled with. It was coveting. Now, Paul wasn't coveting someone's sports car or someone's lifestyle. Well, he was coveting their position. Paul was training to be a rabbi or a Bible teacher, someone that would know the Torah and teach it. So he coveted someone's rabbiness, someone's position 
as a Bible teacher. He wanted to be as good as they were. Now that's not a bad thing, but he coveted it. He wanted to be who they were. And so he said, I wouldn't have known that I had covetousness in my heart unless the law had spotlighted it. The law is never meant to deliver you and I from sin or the temptation to sin. All it can do is show us that there's sin in us. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the law of God was never meant to deliver you into heaven. The law of God was meant to show you that you needed a savior. And then he goes on there in verse 8. He says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead in me. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin brings forth death. When sin takes control, you die. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about because of sin reigning in you, your will is no longer your will. You're, you're ruled by something else. But is it, So he's asking the question, is the law evil? No, the law is holy and righteous and good. But it spotlights our hearts. What he said there was, apart from the law, sin was dead. Does that mean that sin wasn't existing in him? No, it meant that it, it was kind of lying dormant. It was under the surface. For instance, this morning, Lucy has a low-grade fever. Now, we can kind of tell that, we think, when we put our hand on her head. She's warm. But our bodies really are warm, if you think about it. They're 98 degrees. That's pretty warm. But how do we know if she's got a temperature, if she's sick? Well, we get out a thermometer, and we put it in her mouth. And that thermometer registers and it reads a temperature. Now, does that mean that the thermometer is sick and caused her to be sick? No, that means the thermometer is what we use to be able to measure her temperature. In the same way, the law of God is not evil. What it does is that law is an indicator. It's a thermometer that we can put on our lives that reveals in us whether we got a, a sinful temperature or not. It's an indicator. It doesn't make the law evil. It makes the law good because the law is perfect. It's holy. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. David wrote about the law and its use. Psalm is right, Psalms is right after Job and right before Proverbs. Psalm 19. He's going to explain to us what the purpose of the law is before he ever knew that there was a Savior coming. Like, the Old Testament prophets had an inkling that God was going to send a deliverer, but they didn't know who it would be or what it would look like. But in Psalm chapter 19, in verse 7, here's what David wrote. He said this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. In other words, it's, it's stable. Making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's, it opens up our eyes to see things as they really are. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. It's sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by the law, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. It's like a road sign for you and I. If you've ever drove it, driven over, you know, a tip top over here, south of here, you know that those warning signs are helpful. If you've never been down that road before, you won't know the curves are coming. But if you're driving down it, you see the bright yellow sign that shows the curve. Did you guys ever see uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Maybe some of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. There's this scene where he's driving down the road. It's dark. He doesn't know where he's going. He's going to search for his bike. And all of a sudden, every five feet, there's another yellow road sign. And it, the yellow road signs keep having these curves. And then they get worse. And then they're like, you know, drawn like some, like between St. James and, uh, and Cuba, where it's like, you feel like you just turned around and you're going the other direction. And then finally, there's one that shows falling rocks. And there's big falling rocks. Those are warning signs, right? They're used in order to tell us what lies ahead. The dangers that are there. And so the law of the Lord is perfect, number one, at revealing those things, but it reveals those things in order to convert our souls. Our souls are bent on following our own desires, bent on going in our own direction. But God's good enough to put warnings in our life to go, that direction you're going down is going to harm you. It's going to mean death in your life. I love you enough to say you're wrong and this is going to go bad for you. And so Paul is writing on this same way, the same thing that King David wrote hundreds of years earlier. He's saying that the law is good. Verse 11, for sin, back in Romans 7, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is the spotlight that God uses in order to point out that we have a sinful condition and he wants to change it. Sin was lying dormant underneath the surface and the law shone its light and it's the light of God. It's the brightest light that ever existed. And when that light shines on us, it's not that it causes sin to be there. It just reveals it for what it really is. It's like those mirrors that that people have in their homes and they have the lights all the way around, those globe lights. And you get in front of that thing and you go, oh man, I need to do something about this. you know. And the Lord's saying, you need to do something about this. He shines his light not on our faces but on our hearts. Because Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, that's where the mouth speaks from. That's where the life lives out from. You know, uh, one of the Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it spring the issues of life. And so God's always trying to get past the skin deep stuff down to the source of what we're doing. And so as he, he says this, he goes to, um, he's, he's explained the process of sanctification. And then he finishes right here in verse 13. He says, has then what is good, good become death to me? He says, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me, though what is through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. God doesn't want our sin, the things that we harbor in our life that are bad for us, He doesn't want them to be tasteful to us. He doesn't want to make us look candy-coated. He wants to remove the candy-coating, 
And he wants to show us that our sin is not just some little white lie, but that it's a, a, a detriment to who we are. It's, it's like a cancer to us. It's something that lies underneath that unless it's exposed, we can't deal with it. And so God reveals it to us to show how wicked, how hurtful, how it's gonna drag us down. And remember, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about after salvation, continuing to cleanse our lives, to free us from the things that enslave us. So he's talked about sanctification So verse 7 through 13, I'd describe as this. Paul's writing to us how the law exposes sin and kills us as believers. He's explaining the process of sanctification, how it works. He's given us the nuts and the bolts, kind of the instruction manual. But in verse 14 through 25, here's what he's going to do. He's going to expose sin or Explain to us how the law exposes sin and kills the believer. It it puts us to death so that Christ can live through us. But he's going to explain how he's experienced it. Because it's one thing to explain how something technically works out. It's another thing to be able to explain it from our experiences, what it feels like trying to live it out. It's like uh, there's this thing online called Pinterest. And they have these instructions and little DIYs, do-it-yourself things. And they always show the picture of the end result. They might give you some process along the way. And you can do these nifty little crafts. Well, what's funny is as that's happened over the years, people have given these little projects, they always show the end result. And they go, you can do it too. It was cheap and it only cost me $3 and it took me a half an hour to do it. Well, most of them came up with the craft. So of course it was easy for them. They made the rules. But then someone else comes along, unsuspecting, looks at the picture and says, I'd love to have that in my home. And I don't want to go to the store and buy it. I want to make it because I don't have the money to buy it. And so they get all the supplies together. They follow each and every step. And then they take a picture of it and they put their picture next to the picture of the one that they saw online and they they put Pinterest fail underneath it. Because most of the time, it doesn't look like the picture. It looks nothing like the person that described it. And so Paul, knowing that, says, hey, just so you know that this process isn't a pretty process that's going to be sometimes difficult, I want you to know my own struggle. I want to share with you, yes, I am the Apostle Paul. Yes, I've written as a man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I've written a lot of the New Testament, but I want to show you that it wasn't always this way, and it's still not. That I write good letters, but I'm still a sinful man, and God's still cleansing my life. And so in in chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, he says, this is how sanctification feels. And I love that, because sanctification is God allowing the heat to be turned up in your life. He's bringing us up to our boiling point, And all the stuff that's in our life that's not of Him, of God, will not be able to stand the heat. It'll raise to the top and God's desiring to to pull it off and to swipe it to the side and cleanse us of it. And so here in verse uh, 14, he says this. He says, for we know, now Paul oftentimes says we know and maybe it's new to you. You know, there's a lot of the time where Paul says, for we know, and then he says something like, well, I didn't know that. That's okay. And we got to start somewhere, right? Everybody has to learn stuff. 
Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. That word means fleshly. I'm, I'm ruled by my body. I'm sold under sin. And that's where we started before we know Jesus. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, in other words, what my will desires to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, my mortal body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what's good, I don't find. I don't have within me what God says is right to perform. I know what God's word says. I've been reading it. I've been trying to do it on my own. But I'm not finding a source of ability within me to do what God's called me to do. He's frustrated. I love that because there are days where I'm walking and I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I'm doing what God's given me to do. I have joy. I have peace. It's all going well for me. And there are lots more days where I know what I'm supposed to do, especially, and maybe you guys won't be able to relate to this, but as a Christian, I've been reading the Bible for eight years. I've been married for four. I know how I'm supposed to be as a husband and as a, as a son and as a dad. I know how I'm supposed to interact with those people. I know how I'm supposed to interact with non-believers. I know how I'm supposed to re react when things go wrong. I, I know all those things. But living them out is a whole nother deal. Knowing what to do and doing it are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. Knowing things is knowing things, but wisdom is taking that knowledge and putting it to the test, putting it into practice in my life. That's hard. Where am I supposed to look for the ability to do that? Who am I supposed to look at as my example of someone who has done that? Jesus. Jesus is the only person that always did the will of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How did he do that? So I go, I, I draw from the well. I read in the Gospels and I say, Jesus, how would you react in this situation? And God has given me, through four different men's visual and writing it down, the story He's given me testimony, eyewitnesses of those who watched how Jesus responded to situations. And you know what he did that I don't do in the morning? He got up early. He got time with his father, even though he was completely God, and he prayed. And as I got up this morning, knowing what I needed to do here at 10 o'clock, knowing that God had called me to teach the word of God, I, I got up early this morning and I just got in the Word. Not to teach. I didn't study to teach. I got in my daily devotional. And I read the entire chapter of Psalm 119. Not because of any other reason that I knew that He's the source. That He's the one that I need instruction from. And that's just where I happened to be in the Scripture. And what was funny is God gave me a renewed sense of He's the one that's got to do it through me. He's the source. 
And so Paul, as he's describing his frustration here, in verse 18, he says, I know that in me, that's in my body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, the desire to follow God. It's in me. That's Jesus in our life, giving us the Holy Spirit. But how to perform what's good, I don't find. For the good, verse 19, that I will to do, I desire to do, I don't do it. But the evil I will not to do, that is what I practice. And it's funny because so many of us get frustrated trying to follow and obey the Lord. We're like, why is it so easy to do the wrong thing and so hard to do the right thing? Well, how many years have you walked against the Lord? How many years have you traveled down the path of least resistance and now you're trying to swim upstream? Those muscles have to develop. The, the way that we're supposed to go, we have to get to know it. It's, it's easy to go the way we've always been going because we've gone there so many times. It's like I always tell Kelly, the mic, I think my car knows how to get to work without me. You know, it, it's just, I drive it every day. But to drive the way of salvation, it takes work, it takes effort. We're going upstream. Nobody around us, most people around us are not going to go, woohoo, go for it. They're not, you know. But the cool thing is the Lord will give you the strength to do it. He'll show you the way. Verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. He says, and this is his conclusion in verse 21 of chapter 7. He says, I find then a law. It's like a rule that's built into my character, he says. I find a law that evil is present within me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. The, the heart is there. The desire is there to follow the Lord. But I see another law that's in my members. And he's talking about his flesh. The part of you that, that wants to feel good, to look good, to be good. You know, the, the, the carnal part of us. He's seeing this dual nature. He says, I see another law in my members that war against the law of my mind and bring me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He says this, this nature that's within me desires to do good and this flesh that I'm carrying around with me that God desires to renew day by day to purify, it's fighting me. You know, when I want to read my Bible, my flesh is tired. My eyes wear out. When I want to go serve or help somebody with something, man, my body just wants to be comfortable and to go do something else. And so the Lord desires to show us that Paul was just as captive to this. And yet God showed himself strong through him. But here's where Paul came to. Because of this frustration, here's what he said. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Jesus is the answer. And of course that sounds like a Sunday school answer. You know, how do I how do I deal with this part of my life? Well, Jesus. You know, what's the answer to this question? Well, it's always Jesus, but what does that look like? And so God is asking us the question this morning. Do you serve the law of sin that's in your members or do you serve the law of God, the law of liberty, the law that's, that's freed you from this body of death? 
we do have to drag this body of flesh around and it will try to hinder us from following what we know is good. But God desires to give us the ability to overcome. And knowing that our flesh is weak and our spirit is willing, that's what Jesus said to his disciples, knowing that on the night that he was betrayed, he was, he was about to be put to death and he asked his disciples to pray with them. And what did they do? They fell asleep. And Jesus came to them. He says, are you sleeping? This is the, I'm getting ready to be handed over to the hands of men and be put to death. He says, indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, he says, pray to the Father that he'll give you the strength. And so that's our source. And whatever we feed will be the strongest in us. Our flesh, if we feed it all the time, if we give in to its desires, if we do whatever it tells us, in the time that we're tempted, guess what's going to win? The one that's strongest. But if we will feed our spirit, if we'll get in time with the Lord, if we'll spend time in fellowship and communion with Him, what happens is that we want to please Him more than we want to please our evil members. And so, where are you this morning? Which one's strongest? I confess, my, my flesh is stronger. But the Lord is renewing me day by day and, and taking ground. And so, we're going to take communion this morning. And I know you got to go, Kay, so you can go whenever you want. Don't feel bad about that. But let me ask you, where are you this morning? Does, does God desire to do in you something new? Does he desire to do something that your flesh continues to conquer you in? Because if he does, know that your temptation, your struggle, is no different than the same temptation and struggle that Paul went through. But Paul was able to overcome because he wasn't looking to you or I, he was looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it, he'll finish it, but we have to draw from him. We can't find it in ourselves. In our flesh dwells no good thing. And he did all of that, and he's doing, continuing to do all that, so that you and I can continue to have communion with him. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember his sacrifice. We're going to remember his life. We're going to look at all he's done. And we're going to enjoy right now the fellowship that he's offered to us. And then we're going to look forward to what he's going to do in the future. Because this meal right here, which is just a meager meal of, of bread in the cup, looks forward to the meal that we'll celebrate with him, with him in heaven when sin and death will be done away with and we'll sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And it, we will no longer have this Romans 7 struggle. We will be in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit those who obey the Holy Spirit within us, those who are overcoming by His power. So let's pray. We're going to sing a song of worship and you guys can come up and get the elements. And then after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you that your death and your burial and your resurrection and your life that you lived that provided us the perfect sacrifice is the only reason that we are able to be saved. We thank you that going back to the law and following a bunch of rules, that it, it was never meant to perfect us or save us. It was only meant to show us that we had a need. 
And I thank you that when Paul came to the end of his road and he was trying to do it on his own, he recognized that he was poor in spirit. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst, who have a need for righteousness, because Jesus said, we'll be filled. And so, Lord, this meal right here, this remembrance of you, this sacrifice that you made, it was not meant to completely fulfill us. It was meant to remind us that you are the one that fills us, that you're our bread, that you're our wine. Lord, you're the, the, the wine of gladness. And then when we go to see you, you're going to be everything that we always needed. But until then, Lord, help us to survive on the daily bread that you give us in your word, on the daily bread that you give us in the time you speak to our hearts and we pray to you. Lord, be our fulfillment. Be everything that we need. Lord, you are good and we need goodness because there was no one who is good but God. And so, Lord, thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.